And good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. You're listening to I Teach Live with Andy, Anissa, and Stephanie. And we are welcoming you on this beautiful October 1 uh, Monday morning. So welcome to fall. Hopefully, if you're not in Georgia, hopefully it's not 90 degrees where you are. Uh, but it's beautiful out here. Late. Good morning. Well, we thought Monday, we were having Monday. a great morning, but... <laughs> Happy October. You know what? Yes. Can you believe it's October? Did anybody else go fall extravaganza this weekend? Uh, We went to the pumpkins and to the apples, and we did all the things. We rode bikes. That's great. I saw your apple picture stuff. They looked lovely. I got sunburned because it's fall in Georgia. Right. And sunburned. Still a mile away from the sun. Yeah. We, you know, North Georgia, great apple picking country. We went up there and fought the rest of the tri state area to get into uh, an orchard to do you pick. And of course, an orchard isn't just an orchard anymore because millennials. So now there's a picture station (laughs) and a petting zoo. And a corn maze and a small patch of sunflowers for you to take your pictures with. I counted no less than three couples doing engagement photos. Um, Just, you know, it's a whole three ring circus. But I did get my frozen apple cider, which was my goal. The kids ate so many apples that I was for sure they were going to have a worm. But (laughs) they just kept eating and eating. Um, And it was really, it was nice. It only got very hot towards the end, but... That was also a little bit farther up, so I don't know. All right, so let's do a quick check-in here. If you are with us, we want to remind you that if you are listening live, there are a lot of ways to interact with us here on the show. So can somebody tweet us right now, first person to tweet us using the hashtag ITeachLive. We've got a little special present for you. Um, so tweet us at hashtag ITeachLive. You can also tag at KSUITeach. Um, we Amen. are really excited to have you listen on. Let us know if you can hear us. Yeah. Send us a tweet right now. We're because, always insecure about that. Yeah. The, the lights never look the same on the board. So let me know. I think I still got some T-shirts laying around. Some I Teach Live T-shirts. Tweet us right now. Let me know if you can hear us and I'll send a T-shirt your way. Did I ever get a T-shirt? No. Oh, my. I did not. But you got a coffee mug. You got a coffee mug. I did get a coffee mug. I you love my mug. It. It's a great size mug. Isn't it though? Yes. It's like perfect for like that one cup and a little scotia room for cream. You know, you got to have cream room in your coffee mug. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, we're back. We took, uh, for those of you that are, that are keeping track, you'll notice we took a week off. Um, not really took a week off, but we postponed to we're a week late. Stephanie and I were in New York city last week at the responsive, uh, yes. conference. So responsive.org trying to learn, um, strategies and techniques and ways that we can, um, keep, I teach, uh, ahead of the curve, if you will, how to be responsive to changes in the marketplace, changes in, um, people structures, all sorts of different things. Um, how to, how to, how to be organizationally responsive. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting thought, you know, as I was flying home and, uh, had a little bit of a delay for weather, I started thinking about the fact that we certainly were not um, the largest group represented, and and I mean the field of education. Mm -hmm. You know, this was very much about the future of work. Many, many different types of organizations were there. Folks who were at C-level and C-suite positions with JetBlue and, you know, other airlines and also big hotel manufacturers and everything from like Indeed.com and their HR and sort of development team. So it was really interesting for all of us to come together because they wanted so deeply to learn more and know more about education um, and felt like there was some, you know, mythical silver 
bullet that we had found that would improve outcomes as they start to reform how they're responsive and also supportive of their employees' learning path. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sort of on our side, we, we were like, well, you know, feed into us. What does it look like from your point of view? What does it look like from an organization level um, in the private sector? And how can we tease out what, what's most meaningful for education? But I really thought it was very interesting that so many are thinking about the responsivity of their organizations and um, and just really like taking a, a hard and honest look about the quality of the employee. And here's what I would say to be true of that. The folks that were representing of education at this conference were very much thinking about student experiences as our customer. I saw very few people there who were superintendents, school level leaders who were trying to change the reality or teachers right. and staff and faculty within K-12 organizations. So it just kind of, it rang true yet again that there are lots of people who are focused on great outcomes for kids because that's what we're all in this for, right? And there are people outside of the field of education who are focused on great outcomes for their employees. But there seems to be this pothole where professional educators live um, where nobody's really looking to improve the conditions of their reality, you know? And um, I don't, it's just, that sat with me for a minute because I really had hoped to see, again, superintendents or somebody there from like a, you know, a cohesive systems level that really wanted to think about, can I even find a way for my teachers to use the restroom when they want to? How can I, you know, allow for some responsivity in our organization from that, from that angle? So if you've got um, ideas out there, if you're a leader that's listening or you're a teacher who wants to sort of like put out your own manifesto of what it would look like for your school or your district to be responsive to what you were looking for. We'd love to hear that on Twitter. Um, and you can, you know, tag at responsive conference, um, and hashtag I teach live because yeah. I do think and hashtag Jerry McGuire. Yeah, exactly. Show me the money. Um, but I think that that would be really, really cool. And I'm going to share out right now on Twitter, uh, again, using the hashtag I teach live, the link to the manifesto from responsive.org, which I think is a good read for anybody. Um, as just as a review for who are these people that put this conference on and why did we go and might be helpful. I tell you, I, I, I did a lot of thinking as well um, in New York and on the way home and uh, in re, you know trying to rebound on Wednesday from from the travel and the work and uh, one of the things that struck me was that it, it made me feel like we're on the right path with personalized learning here in Georgia and and how I came to that conclusion is I'm seeing all of these businesses and these corporations you know Airbnb is there Google's mm-hmm. there Facebook's there all of these big players are there and they all it seems like a lot of people are making their mark in private sector and then turning and trying to refocus on education and I I feel like there's a disconnect they're recognizing that disconnect in this traditional educational structures that are in place and once they make it and they've got you know their path now they're trying to create an avenue or a pathway for more people to to find the successes and to be more successful in the changing marketplace, in the changing workplace today. And so it made me feel like we're on the right path. We're doing the right thing. Um, there is a disconnect. And, um, you know, I, I see it from from people in the job market who are successful, who are now trying to, I think, cultivate the same thing that we're trying to cultivate. Um, you know, different approaches different angles of attack, if you will. Um, But I feel like we're all on that same mission. 
Well, we're so quick, though, to celebrate and almost worship super rich entrepreneurs. And then right. we treat them like they can answer and solve all problems, including K-12. And what's interesting about the responsive conference, I think it's important that there's a place where there's some collaboration, right? You, th Those huge venture capitalists, they're not going to change K-12 education without the collaboration of actual K-12 educators. And we right. can't raise them above their set of expertise and lived experience in the K-12 environment that teachers have. And, um, and I think that kind of goes to the continuing deprofessionalization of teachers. I do think that K-12 teachers and leaders are the people to create the change. Sure. Um, but they need a pipeline of information. And that's right. And that's where things like this are exactly the right conduit. Right. You know? That there's got to be a collaboration. That's piece. right. Um, and I think something that struck me, you know, when we were there, a couple of things, and Andy and I have both talked about the work of uh, Lindsay McGregor, and uh, her book, which I can't... Primed for... Primed for... Perfection, is it? Perfection. For... I think it's Primed for Perfection, uh, is the name of her book. But she talks about TOMO, this, this thought of total motivation. And as we go into the topic for today on individual path and pace in a personalized learning environment, I drew tons of correlation between what we really want to ask kids to do is, is this efficacy, agency, ownership... Um, and to function executively. And those are skills that you can develop, and we've called for that in our work, right, that explicit support and, and education in executive function. But knowing how to function executively and being motivated to do so are very different things. Right. And so I think um, it's definitely a book that I want to dig into and sort of unpack um, that idea of total motivation because it is really about um, you know what we know from motivation theory historically and based in research but also the idea of you know are you ready for this unpredictable nature of what you're going to encounter and can you motivate through those situations so again really great resource that I'm looking forward to digging into and just wanted to share that with you guys. yeah yeah Lindsay was definitely the highlight of my trip um, and the book is primed to perform primed so to perform. Thank primed you. to perform you can find Lindsay on uh, and her company on Twitter at Vega Factor oh, is her. I forgot that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how could you forget that? Twitter handle. She stole my email. Address. I know. Right. Man. Vega um, Factor. But yeah, she's it. it uh, she talks a lot about carrots too, incentivizing. Are we incentivizing the right way? You know, if if you can find some videos of her on YouTube or read the book and learn about, are we cultivating cobra farms or not? Ooh, and yeah. you know, really, uh, they talk a lot about um, the right incentives and and what are the you know the unintended consequences of the wrong incentives and and you know cultivating that culture of wanting to learn versus just are we really after some some carrot on a stick and what happens when you take the carrot away or are you better off or are you worse off than you were before you even started so that um was some of the things that she talked about that was really really uh interesting and um i would love to share the cobra story I think I could if I give her credit, right? I think it was really impactful. Well, I, that's not, she didn't make that up. No. I mean, that's a, that's a real life thing. So, right, yeah, but you she can... gave this in her, her presentation, and I think it was so incredibly, like, mm -hmm. the whole audience really attached to it. So um, she has something in her framework of TOMO, this total motivation, that's called, really it's the antithesis, right? Like this cobra effect. <clears throat> and so she shared the story of the example of New Delhi, and when, um, you know, India was being colonized by um, 
you know, the English and they were coming in and the British folks were sort of like putting down um, these settlements and they just kind of were having uh, some discomfort around having to commute to different places around these villages and there were cobras everywhere. And like, you know, I, I certainly don't want to see a cobra on my morning commute walking through, you know, <laughs> parts of really remote areas. And so they thought that they would set up a structure to eliminate cobras and they created a cobra turn-in facility where they would um, pay local villagers who would come with dead cobras and, you know, it's just a lot like any cull would happen. You know, we see this even in Florida now. If you get these massive pythons that aren't supposed to be in the swamps of Florida and bring them to the forestry stations, like you can bring X amount, they'll give you money. Crazy. Um, I just now had the correlation that we actually still do this. So what happened over time was, though, that they didn't see a decrease in the cobra population. Um, and what ha was happening is that these local villagers and farmers had created farms to essentially grow cobras to then dispatch to collect the bounty. and collect the bounty. And so when the British found out about this, these you know colonial folks found out about it, they shut the office of cobra drop-off, ended the bounty program, and instead of dispatching the cobras, it was easier for the farmers to just let them go. Yeah. And so what they ended up creating... <laughs> More cobras. Was more cobras. And so it was really uh, thought-provoking to think about how we do that within our own organizations. You know, how, how do we do that in schools? How do we do that in, in the group of colleagues that we work with when we're trying to elicit a certain behavior or eliminate a certain behavior? Are we just creating cobra farms? So that sounds like uh, disclosure of external activities. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Around KSU, maybe so. Where's my where's my mute button? Right, where's yeah. the mute button on here, Nessa? Right. But sensitive, I, I mean, when she issue. shared that story, first of all, I picked my feet physically up off the ground when she was, you know, there was like a picture of a snake on the screen. But um, <laughs> but just really interesting, and uh, I've thought about that several times since. But oh, I yeah. think it's you know something to caution yourself again against in your organization. Right. Yeah. What what's motivating you? Right. Essentially. Um, no, very good. So, um, yeah, <laughs> well, not cobras. If a cobra is chasing me. I right. am motivated. I was not even allowed to watch the world's deadliest snakes came on something, or I think oh, one of my no. kids recorded it. So I flipped it on last night, and my wife was like, "No, <laughs> turn that off. We're not watching snakes." Yeah. So none of that in my house. Um, all right. Very good. So I want to start um, this morning with. Uh, some sad news, unfortunately, um, here in Georgia, Pike County High School lost a student this weekend in a football game. Dylan Thomas um, suffered a, a traumatic brain injury, freak accident in a football game, and, and lost his life Saturday morning, lost his fight. Um, so I just want to tell, if we've got listeners in South Georgia, in Pike County, yeah. Peach County was the opposing team. I know that's got to be traumatic for the, the kids Absolutely. on both teams, families, coaches, Teachers and students, everyone involved in, in this uh, this tragic loss of life here. Our, our thoughts are with you up here uh, in North Georgia at Kennesaw State, and um, I think they've got the hashtag Dylan Strong going. If you if you wanted to share some thoughts uh, on Twitter, uh, it's mm -hmm. hashtag Dylan Strong to to let uh, let Pike County football know you're thinking about them. And, and that, yeah, uh, yeah, our our hearts are definitely with those two communities as well as Dylan's family. And I just. Um, as a teacher, you know, you hate these moments when something happens to a student in your population. You know, we all refer to our kids as our kids yeah, when right. we're teaching. And so 
that whole community, certainly his friends um, and his teachers and the staff at, at the school are going to feel that. But I just, as a mom, can't even imagine sending my kid out to do something that they love, you know, yeah. and, and be sitting in the stands cheering them on and then to have this be the outcome. So, yeah, just thoughts and prayers with everybody there. Horrible, horrible. So um, let's switch it up here. Today is um, International Podcast Day. Woo-hoo-hoo. So... Uh, in celebration, we're podcasting. That's so right. So we, we're live we on the radio. We're about a day. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to... Every day, by the way, is International Something Day these days, I think. No, so. I love it. There's actually a calendar online that you can go to search, like, what's this the day of? Yeah. Um, and it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's every day, too. So I, I stumbled upon that. So I was like, hey, it's International Podcast Day. Let's go to lunch afterwards. Um, so we'll be celebrating here. Hey, drop us your suggestions in the Kennesaw area if you have a really great place that you want us to go to lunch, other than the comments here on campus, which has everything for everybody. <laughs> Yeah. Or if you want to meet up, if or you're if out about. Or if you want to sponsor our if you, if, you, if you have the opportunity to get out. I think that would be a conflict of interest right. and we would have to report Oh, that. right, 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 right. Yeah. Jeez oh, Louise. I need a bell for every Bing. time. Yeah, I know. It's funny. We, we just talked about releasing, <laughs> releasing before the show. Positive energy, positive energy. Releasing. I wish I could quote for you the sign. Uh, the the Buddha poster in my bathroom. I can't quote it on the air, uh, but it's let that stuff go. I'm letting it go. Let it, let go. it go. Let it go. All right. Um, and then we would be remiss. There's there's so much going on in the news today um, that's important for lots of different reasons. And so we want to briefly talk about uh, what has occupied the news over the last uh, week or so is these. Uh, the uh, Supreme Court nomination hearings and, and Judge Brett Kavanaugh's hearing. And we don't we certainly aren't going to get into politics. We're not going to talk about the politics of Kavanaugh or the politics of whatever's happening in there. But we do want to talk about social media today because, uh, you know, we were discussing before the show how crazy it is that we're seeing handwritten calendars from what, 1982 as much as. Fascinating. It fascinating. Is fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. That's that, a better word, yeah. That what's being pulled back, I mean, interviews from high school classmates and maybe middle school classmates, people you knew 20 and 30 years ago, mm-hmm. coming back to the forefront and really determining the, the fate of this man's career and his sure. future trajectory and possibly the future trajectory of the Supreme Court in the United States. And so we wanted to talk um, briefly about um, social media use yeah, and kids today and and um, and what we're posting and what we're sharing and how, you know, always these things, uh, there's no delete on the Internet. And so how these things yeah. can come back uh, to either uh, celebrate and support and stand you up or um, haunt you yeah. and, and knock you down. Yeah. Well, and I do think it's um, like anything else, you know, in our society, it's not until after the fact that we realize the power potential of something that's available to us. And this has certainly been um, a long game. You know, Mm -hmm. social media, digital citizenship and education is not a new topic. We could talk about it for the next five podcast episodes and never get to all of the minutia of the implication and how to best support it in your curriculum and how to best support it at home. But I think that, again, the interesting and sort of fascinating piece of this for me was what a great example of how your life is lived even in your teen years, even in your teen years with the accountability of whoever you're going to be in the future. 
And whether that, again, is, you know, this very starkly um, distant reality from what most of our kids are going to be experiencing a nomination to, you know, the Senate and then accusations coming forward. But um, I just think that it's an opportunity for us, again, to relay a very real life example of someone's accountability stretching back into, you know, again, that their young adulthood that is just a pinpoint for why we should not only discourage the use of social media for things that you don't want your grandma to see, <laughs> right? Or your future employer or the future Senate Judiciary Committee, you know, um, if you're going to be pursuing that kind of career path. But it's also a great opportunity to think about how can we cultivate some power in that reality for students to be able to um, promote themselves and their brand brand from a really early age. Um, so other yeah. than burning all of my Lisa Frank diaries oh, from Lisa middle, Frank. middle school. Gosh, um, now I want to go get one of those stationary kits. Andy, you don't know Lisa what? Frank? Should I? Oh yeah. Google yeah. it right now. Google while Ennis is talking. Well, anyways, uh, <laughs> other than wanting to burn all of that recently, I went to a parenting seminar at um, the Walker School here mm -hmm. in Cobb County. Um, my daughter attends their dyslexia immersion program, and they had a parent seminar about social media just last week mm -hmm. through their um, community organization uh, and support group. And actually, the Social Institute is the organization who came mm -hmm. to speak to the parents, and they were also speaking to the students. And this organization um, kind of takes a different perspective on social media for students than um, what initially I've been taking with uh, my oldest, actually. So mm -hmm. with, um, with my oldest, he really likes to use Discord or wants to use Discord. And I, in you know, doing my job as a parent, snooping on his Discord account, decided that he no longer should have the right to use Discord as long as he <laughs> <laughs> was uh, for various reasons, which I will keep between him and I. But... Um, what the Social Institute talks about is instead of telling kids, don't do this, don't do this on social media, don't do this, that doesn't give them a strategy as to how to move forward and use social media to help them, right? So right. Um, Brett Kavanaugh's calendars and notes, you know, those are intended to help his brand, help right. him um, and provide evidence of the positive, right? So... Um, what we want to see students do is actually use social media, but use it effectively to help them in their futures, right. to show a, um, that they're a responsible, kind, uh, helpful, intelligent individual in this society. And so they gave, um, I got some really interesting information, and as long as I'm giving them credit, I guess I can at least tease this, um, uh, some of their information. And I encourage school districts, if you... Um, want to take a different approach to social media, mm -hmm. um, maybe consider bringing the Social Institute in. Um, I really enjoyed their presentation. And, and I just I shared that really out helpful. on Twitter for everybody right. to get back to their site. So Thanks. So, um, some, so they created a dichotomy between winning at social media and losing. So you can use social media to win by strengthening your reputation, um, showing a healthy lifestyle, cyber-backing others, right? Which is kind of in contrast to cyberbullying, which is a way to lose at social media. You can also ruin your reputation 
And you can also focus, focus on the number of likes or followers if you're losing on social media. Um, they talk about some great things you can do, um, like live up to the seven standards and win with the game of social media. And so they gave uh, seven great standards, and you would have to contact social media or look at their website to find out more about what each of these mean. But um, talk about uh, playing to your core. So coming up with some key values about how you want to present yourself to the world, and then looking at your social media accounts um, and looking to see, asking others to look at them and tell them what kind of person does this social media account say that, that I sort am. Sort of a uh, peer audit. That right. would be great. I like that peer audit. Yeah. So if I look at my social media account, hopefully for me, yeah. um, you know, Dr. Anissa Loki Vega, hopefully it says that, you know, I'm uh, an expert in K-12 online learning. I'm a increasing expert in personalized learning in K-12. I'm um, a professional most of the time. <laughs> mostly professional mostly professional podcast or something to that regard right right so um it probably also says that i'm a proud mom um who hates to cook mm. okay so that would be a pretty accurate description of my brand but i would be interested to know from my peers mm -hmm. does my social media say that about me because yeah. that would be interesting i'll be stalking your accounts this afternoon <laughs> give me some formative this, uh, feedback letting you know no, I really, I love the idea of that. And I wonder if somewhere out there in the universe would, would be, and maybe um, the Social Institute has a tool that could be used for peers with auditing in mind. But I just think the, uh, the critical pedagogy of that, to have students roll through that in an ELA class or in a social sciences class or even in a health class, I think is very appropriate to standard alignment and would be a great use of time that helped not only the students, but maybe the parents if we're really thinking about including all stakeholders. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times Mrs. Boyle and I talk about <clears throat> college with our with our kids, and I've got a ninth grader now, and so, you know, oftentimes the conversation is, you know, let's take the top 10 kids in the class, right? Mm -hmm. If all we're doing is looking at their paper resumes, they probably all look very, very similar. So how do... How does one school differentiate one from the other? And I think social media is a great way if you're looking to differentiate yourself and to stand out to a school, that that is how you promote yourself. If you're doing really cool things in your extra time, if you're, you know, my son likes to collect um, uh, travel uh, soaps and shampoos and toothbrushes. We ask all our friends when they go out of town to collect those from the hotels mm -hmm. and send them back to him. And then he packages them up and, and we take them and we make care packages. You know, those are things I think that, that can help differentiate him if schools are looking, and so many are these days, at not just your transcript, but what are you bringing to my school outside of, um, you know, English, math, science, the four R's. So some of the challenge with that, though, also, that's a great idea, and it would certainly build his brand in a positive way, um, though some of these like instagram have a culture of you know you're lame if you brag mm -hmm. right <laughs> or so but at the same time if you're trying to put out a positive brand you're going to have to have those conversations about then Absolutely. maybe instagram isn't the best social media tool for you maybe you should pick 
another one, like the old people one, the Facebook one, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's okay to brag. I think also helping kids and not only kids, but how many adults do you know that don't understand the difference between what is the preferred platform for the type of information they want to share, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or um, Snapchat or whatever it is. You know, I think that there's a place for all of it, but they're very, most humans are very unaware about how to cultivate that ecosystem of a social presence. And so I'm just sitting here the whole time thinking about too, listen, if I'm a parent and I'm asking my kid to tune something in on their social, you know, media, am I willing to have myself audited? Because judging by my neighborhood Facebook page and the way that some adults are conducting themselves, (laughs) it wouldn't be a great audit. And I just, I would hope that we're not thinking that this is good enough for the gander but not for the goose like this is everybody <laughs> and that was a key point that yes. this group the social institute brought up was that we are models of the behavior that we would expect to see in our students yeah and every you know for years i taught those classes to parents and and that's always you know put a star by this the hardest thing to do is to, to model what you're asking your kids to do because we are the worst mm-hmm. models um, and it's so often do as I say, not as I do. And, and yeah, we've got to, if we really want to see kids doing better, we've got to be better as, as adults and as models as well. So mm-hmm. that's why I turned all mine off. All of your social media? All, all my personal social media is mm-hmm. shut off. There's none. Yeah. Correct. I, I have, uh, I have some work. I've worked Twitter, the Twitter I use here, all this, these are just work accounts, all my personal things off. Yeah, I also, um, it became harder and harder for me to separate professional and work. So I've just pulled it into, you know, or sorry, personal and professional because I don't want to represent two different people. Like I am who I am. Right. Um, And so I've really been trying to bring all of those things back to center. And what that does is sort of soften your binary, for lack of a better term. It brings what you would push out from either end of the spectrum of personal or professional it eliminates that. And so you really become sort of softened into this holistic view of who I really am. So if you go to my, you know, Twitter at StephSteph83, you're going to see some things that are like, you know, my children's elementary school that I'm retweeting or, um, you know, I'll use that account if I need to call out Delta when I'm stuck on a flight on the tarmac. But at the same time, I'm doing those in a way that would be respectful of the fact that that's also my professional account. And I'm also sharing resources out from today's show on that account. So I do, I think that there's a, a, a little bit of a harm in creating this reality for kids that you can be two different people, whether that's online, offline, or whether that's online with two different accounts. Because here's what we mm. know to be true. They all have multiple accounts and they have the account that they're giving you the password to mom and dad. And then they have, you know, a ghost account that they've not shared with you that they really post the stuff that they don't ever want you to well, know about. Instagram, right? So that's Instagram right. versus Instagram. Yes, that's where right. Have you... Well, I learned that at the Social Institute uh, yes, as well. Yeah, yeah, Please yes. learn me. That you have your primary Instagram account, but then there's this, uh, and I'm not sure if it's a feature of Instagram or if it's just that the students make a second account that's private and um, more real, right? So their Instagram account will have all these perfectly photoshopped, filtered photos, but then their Finstagram will have the messier, more realistic life uh, experiences mm-hmm. documented. Uh, so we called those something else. Um, and there, <laughs> there was a trend a couple of years ago where we'd see that. It'd be, you know, student A and like underscore. 
and it would almost be spam or trash. They would call it something else where they would yes. just friend everybody yes. and it was a thousand stuff. And then the private one right. where maybe there were just a few people on well, it. Well, How often do we do this too? We create another Gmail account so that we can use it to log into a random Wi-Fi that we need or all the ads that we want from stores. And then we never check that account. Right. So again, we're modeling this like duality of, or multiplicity of personalities and, and it all traces back to you is the thing that I need people to hear. It doesn't matter what you call it. You know, you have to verify accounts and down the line in some way, form or fashion, you have identified yourself um, in all of those accounts. So, mm. well, um, this group also talked about how telling kids, no, you can't do any of it does not yeah, prepare not them to do it well. Right. So they, they use the analogy of, you know, start them as a rookie where you have limitations in what they can do and mm -hmm. have greater oversight. And then you move them up to varsity level until hopefully by the time they leave your house, they're a pro. Right. Right. So the fact that I have shut down Discord yeah. um, may not be the most productive strategy. I might need to just have a more supervised rookie level of Discord for my son and then um, and then move him up. Yeah, yeah. Pro. I used to use the analogy of, of having your kids cross the road, that the first time they go to cross the road, you don't just say, all right, go on, right? You walk mm -hmm. them, you show them, you stop, you dramatically look both directions, and then right. you walk together, and then maybe the next time you stand there and let them uh, walk by themselves, and then eventually, you know, you're in the house cooking dinner, and you trust that they can cross the street responsibly by themselves and that's uh, yeah. you know the analogy I used to always use um, yeah absolutely. with social media and Marietta middle school just put this year for the first year they have a some sort of media savvy course that they're offering as huh. uh, one of the electives and um, yeah. my I'd son love is to see that in that course and so I'm, I'm hoping yeah. that this course um, is a lot like the we're moving you from rookie to varsity yeah. you know, teaching these skills that you need and so shout out to Marietta Middle School cool. Media. Yeah, who Literacy else out there class. has got a course like that? Because I think that's a really great yeah. uh, inclusion and certainly could probably take the place of some of the study skills. Seriously, <laughs> a life skill in the yeah, modern world. I agree. I yeah. agree completely. Well, listen, let's switch gears a little bit into the meat of our uh, topic for today because I think that this is something that uh, is certainly a topic, you know, individual pace and path that we've spent a lot of time thinking about, talking to others about, talking to students about. Um, and for me, this is the crux by which personalized learning can or should be identified in comparison to other strategies, for lack of a better term, that are out there, like blended learning, flipped learning, absolutely, all of those things. Um, and so, you know, a very technology focused. That's right. That's um, right. And so to start off, I want to give you an example of what is not individual path and pace. All right. So I have said this before on the show, but um, it, it, raise your hand virtually where you are. If this applies to you, I co-plan or plan individually for a unit at a time in my teacher plan book and follow that pacing by delivering content on those days ahead of time that I have already pre-mapped out. That would be uh, the antithesis of individual path or pace. Raise your hand if you are a student who can write down all of your homework assignments for the week because they're posted on the board Monday morning when you walk in. 
prior to any assessment being done. That is the antithesis of individual path or pace. Um, raise your hand if you are a mom of a early years elementary student who gets a month's worth of a homework calendar in your binder that your student is to work on for the entire month that you sign on Fridays and turn back in. That is the antithesis of individual path or pace. So what I've just described are three very different roles and three very, um, I, I would say, permeating realities sure. that exist in most schools right now. And um, <clears throat> and I'm not trying to vilify those things. It's the way we've done things. Well, it's been, it's been the business of school. That's right. right. It's been efficient to move masses through what we have created in time-bound, age-leveled learning experiences. So I want to tell you, Stephanie, the first time, you know, when you were first at KSU and you're telling me about personalized learning and I mm -hmm. hear individual path and individual pace. And I think that's so nice. <laughs> Isn't that cute? That's adorable. <laughs> there is no way. Bless your heart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there is no way that is doable in the classroom that you are not going to get teachers who feel that that is sustainable. They are going to burn out right. so Fast. And what do you mean? You want me to make an IEP for every one of my students? I teach 150 kids a day. Right. Right. So that was my honest yeah. first. And so I was very reluctant to yeah. your um, evangelism of personalized learning back in, what, 2016, yeah. 15? Hour of power right over here with Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's difficult because that's frequently, you know, Again, from a high level, I'll say it again. Personalized learning is not a strategy. It's a collection of many strategies that accomplish what we think the reality for learners and teachers should be. And it requires a That's fundamental right. change in belief That's right. in order for it to happen. Personalized learning is all about hearts and minds. Yeah. And if you can get your heart to agree that kids deserve and educators deserve a personalized and individual path through content, and a pace at which they can make those progressions happen, then we can work on the mind about how to accomplish those things, but you got to get your heart there first. So maybe uh, for our listeners, I think sure. pace is pretty clear what the definition of pace is, but right. when we say path, what do we mean by individual path? So rather than following from August to May, mm -hmm. a prescribed curriculum map and you know path of unit one, unit two, unit three, unit four, unit five, in an individual path, we're saying that in co-agreement with their facilitator or educator, you know, in that classroom, that students are allowed to say, listen, I'd like to address these pieces of content in this order because this is what makes most sense to me, or this is what I see as tangentially relating, or as an educator, I can go to that student and say, listen, you did very well on this assessment. I'd like to, you know, sort of see how you can perform or demonstrate mastery in this other set of standards that I don't have in my plan book to come for many, many months, but I think you're ready to deal with them. And so can we jump to that content? So path becomes fluid, not that you just choose randomly out of a hat, a set of skills and standards that you want your students to address. Standards don't go away. And they often build on each other. That's right. And what we know about, I mean, for sure, I taught world language. It's the same standards in repetition year after year after year. It's just the depth at which you get to each one of them. Um, that's not true for all content areas, but certainly for mine, I could have literally done anything during the day 
and tied it to some standard because we were working in the language. So we already do some of this, but I, I want people to hear today, specifically educators, I want you to hear the freedom that exists within this structure, not the confinement. You are not going to create these paths at the offset for all of your learners, right? Um, and so that's a really important point to make early on, is that while, yes, we think path can be fluid within the bookends of the standard curriculum, um, today, I'm not saying in the future it doesn't get weird, but today we have that standard you know, content that we need to cover per age-defined grade level. And we certainly can allow for pace to look differently, and we do this already, right? We remediate for some kids. We give kids a little bit extra time to turn things in. Like, we're doing tiny little bits of this already. I'm asking you to think about not the I can't do that because statements as you listen today, but think about the that would be really cool. How can I make that happen? Right. Right. So, so change your own mindset around this. So for a visual, I like to, I like to go back to Khan Academy and I, I don't do so much of, of it anymore, but several years ago I was really pushing my kids to go on Khan Academy and, and explore it and, you know, see if there were things in there that interested them that they could learn about and go above and beyond. And they've got that really cool, you know, I call it like a space map for nothing, you know, nothing better, but it, it shows you how different, um, you know, we can call them standards, but subject matter and learning objectives, how they're all interconnected. And, and when I think about path, that's what I think about. So I can be at a point anywhere on that map and there might be six different connecting lines that go to six different ideas but what i just learned is a prerequisite for those next six or a co-requisite yeah yeah and And then i i can pick and choose what interests me and at the end of the day they're all interconnected and i can do them all but i get to pick which way makes the most sense to me to learn them so i like to equate pace and path to individual pace and path to um honeybees All right, so let's imagine that our classroom or our school is the hive, and we've got one queen, and and maybe we have, you know, let's just call it a classroom for intents and purposes. The queen is the one that we go to for direction or for clarification. She sets the tone. She sets the mood. um, Or he. Or he. And... And I think that that's what I'd like to see in the facilitator role. The, The queen is not going to tell each bee where to collect the honey, what time to collect or pollen, what time to collect the pollen from which plant on which side of the field and which, you know, honeycomb to bring it back into to barf up again. Like the queen is not down in the details like that. The queen is setting a clear expectation for what work needs to be accomplished and is there to provide clarification when the workers need the the support and has relationships with different workers at different times for different reasons. But the queen is not down in the delivery of every ounce of pollen. They're not giving the direction on on the how, the why, and the when. Right. Um, And so that's how I sort of envision when I see a personalized learning environment, that's what I want to check for. Is the queen available, accessible, setting the tone, giving the guidance, and having those meaningful relationships with the workers? But are the workers also autonomous enough? And, and skilled enough and with enough resource to be able to accomplish their role really well. So um, a couple of things that we want to bring up because, you know, we always want to give sort of like practical approaches to how to accomplish this. And, and something that always strikes me when we have this conversation with educators is, well, I'm already doing this. I differentiate. 
right? Like I, I pull assessment data and I'm differentiating based on what those formative assessments are showing me in my classroom. But what I really want you to focus in on here is that we're not talking about grouping kids. Um, or teacher-directed Or teacher-directed differences, correct. We're talking about students specifically based on their individual performance or passions or skill sets or deficits in a different variety of ways coming into conference and consultation with the educator to create that path and that pace. Um, and so I'm not saying differentiation is bad. You know, don't please don't burn all your books from a decade ago when we all had to like but jump on this bandwagon. But open the options up and That's ask right. the student, have the conversation. Here's some different ways That's that right. we could do this instead of the teacher assigning, you're going to do it That's right. this way. That's right. Instead, here are some ways that I've come up with. Or do you have another idea? That's right. And so when we're thinking about, you know, making the switch over to this kind of environment, it's very appropriate for you to start off from a place of, I need to have some sort of lesson plan, right? I need to have, and really what we know is daily lesson plans are obsolete in a personalized learning environment, but a unit plan is not a bad idea to start off with. You can definitely use um, UDL and UBD frameworks and a marriage of those together to make something that will make you feel like at least you have a game plan, right? But I would love to call people to think differently about what their plans entail. You can use differentiation to create some set apart pathways mm -hmm. so that we're not starting from scratch in each one of these conversations with kids. You know the eventualities of the hurdles that kids are going to face through units. For me, direct object pronouns were always very difficult for kids to learn in Spanish because the order that the noun and the adjective come are different. And so I knew every year that I really needed to go back out to my content and to my platforms, find and curate some really good resources and practic practicums or practice activities for those kids. And I was going to have those on the burner. And that's exactly the kind of planning or curriculum cultivation that you can do without making every kid go through it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's the difference is just because I have really great content doesn't mean that every kid really needs it. Um, and so the guiding principle is for every kid, um, you don't need to do the same thing in the same way on the same day, right? So if you can start every day with not the same thing for every kid every day. So you know? let me give a, a, another perspective of what we see. So in the K-12 online world, we see a lot coming out of um, some specific, very large national reach sort of K-12 online schools. And they are referring to it as personalized learning, where students log in and they move in, they move through that online content at their own pace. Mm -hmm. However, I would argue that it's not really personalized because they're not moving through a, a unique path. That's exactly right. Right? So they're all marching through the same curriculum, taking the same online quizzes, reading the same online materials, watching the and same... And they can go faster through that or slower through that, depending. which is great. Right. That's, that's a step in a direction towards personalized right. learning. But students really are going to need those unique pathways for that's it right. to be personalized. They're still bumper bowling, mm -hmm. and we're asking them to choose their own sport. Absolutely. Right? And so that's the difference is like, but and bowling's not bad. Great about <laughs> these online schools yeah. and Khan Academy, for example, is that it provides a lot of materials and resources That's right. already created. Instead of a teacher standing in front of everyone lecturing, repeating herself every year right. on the 1st of October, 
instead we're gonna do the same johnny appleseed <laughs> packet that we've done forever forever do we have an instead, echo feature forever. <laughs> instead those materials are curated collected and students then that gives you the content from which to co-plan with your student right? right because we can't expect you to do all of the instructional design for all of these different paths. Mm -hmm. Now, you may depend on a lot of that digital curriculum, but then also step away from it and do some really interesting projects. Mm -hmm. And so as a teacher, your focus really becomes um, this diagnostic of the student, um, where they are, and then this process of, of co-planning with them because you are the expert on both child development and content, right? That's right? And so you can really help with both of those pieces and you can depend some on some of those digital content providers That's right. to help make it manageable. That's right. And really what we're trying to do here is to get you to have confidence in the tools that you hire um, to be able to do the work that you need done. And, you know, for example, there's an article in Educational Leadership uh, which is an ASCD produ uh, publication from Caitlin Tucker, who we all know in this field, if you follow this field. Um, and as she's talking about pace, she gives this tip, which I think is good for someone sort of emerging into this philosophy of differentiating to an extreme of individualism, right? So whenever she feels tempted to stand up and talk to her students or deliver some piece of content, what she does is record a video of herself doing that instead. And that accomplishes a couple of different things. Number one, she now has a content piece that she can redistribute however she wants to do that and however kids feel like they need to see that content. And number two, what it does is sort of bring down and refine the information that she's sharing. You know, a lot of people will say, like, what do you use to make these videos? Well, I find that just using a screencast tool like Screencast-O-Matic is fine at first. And recording over uh, maybe a slide deck or just recording over an image or whatever you want to do. But I wouldn't upgrade it because that time-bound 15-minute nature of the free version is exactly what you want to keep yourself to. Any more than 15 minutes of content and we're just really, we're mumbling on and we don't need it. So imagine for yourself, if you think about doing that for the next few units that you have coming up, rather than getting up and lecturing, or even if you think that you've got this really interactive lesson that you do, cool, record it. <laughs> And see, see what kind of time you get back again. I mean, time is that nasty four-letter word for a teacher. We never seem to have enough of it, yet we're spending so much time delivering content that could really be compressed into more um, powerful be bits for our And right. that I, is where we find the time for the co-planning. That's it. Right, right. That's it. And I, I would challenge that teacher that's making 15-minute long videos to cut that to five. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying and max below. end. Right, yeah. I'm saying max end. But, but then think about in a 55-minute class period... If you are not standing up there for 40 of those minutes any longer delivering content that you feel the ownership to deliver, you have those minutes to conference one-on-one -on -one and to co-plan pace and path with your learners. And so you can see, though, why sometimes people mistake flipped learning That's right. with personalized learning. Because flipped learning is a great first step sure. to take the traditional classroom and turn it into a personalized space. That's right. So let's... I think it's really important that district superintendents, principals, tech directors, are you providing access to a video platform? Is there a way for teachers to record, house, and distribute video for their classrooms? If you want to help them move and take that first step towards a personalized environment, um, especially in middle and high school, you've got to have 
some sort of video platform. That's right. Right. So I'm going to interrupt you right there and just remind everybody, if you're just joining us right now, you're listening to I Teach Live with Andy, Stephanie, and Anissa. And this morning we're talking about individual path and individual pace and how they are uh, core components and necessary pieces to, uh, to our vision of personalized learning uh, here in Georgia. So um, that that's fantastic. And so, you know, to, to piggyback on top of what, what you just said, Anissa, uh, we've got to, we've got to re-examine video providers as well. So, so many districts that we go into, uh, you know, YouTube is an issue. It's blocked and Vimeo is blocked and they're, you know, Vimeo is transitioning away from from that platform right now, from the video host platform. So that, you know, in a, in a year or two, that won't even be an issue. But but YouTube is definitely an issue, and a lot of video platforms are an issue in, in schools. And storage space. That's right. I've run into <clears throat> spaces always in and issue. firewalls and replay blocking. If you're somebody that uploads to YouTube and you... Uh, I mean, and it's district by district, day by day, whether or not that firewall is going to pop your video. It's Absolutely. really hard to have confidence in it. Right, right, absolutely. Especially if you've got if you've got a nice camera, even a nice phone these days right. is recording 4K video. Absolutely, your phone can do this for you as a teacher. You yeah. don't necessarily need fancy. Yeah, absolutely. Equipment. And right. and if you're if you're recording, you know, 1080 or 4K, you need storage space. You know, and YouTube gives you that space that a lot of schools don't provide you, or at least you know, and then the bandwidth to get it back to where you need to you need to be able to see it. Um, and all your kids need to be able to watch it when they're ready to watch it. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good call to sort of support, you know, those who are in support roles and advocacy roles. Clearing the runway for the plane to take off is really important because otherwise what we're going to have is people out there trying and attempting this work and just getting so frustrated and bogged down by the minutia of getting access out to kids um, and that's honestly something that I'll say, you know, has always been a point of contention with flipped learning. A couple of things. Number one, that's not individual path. Um, pace, I could argue, is kind of there because kids can pause, rewatch, stop again. Um, but you are saying, in most cases, you have to do this at home. And, and what I think is more appropriate is to say, here's the content. Choose your own adventure. Like where you access it and how you access it and at what timetable is up to you within parameter because of the goals that we've set together for what you want to do. Um, but I, I also think the sort of like the flipped idea, you know, brings up access and equity. We've talked about that before. Um, you know, I, I remember when flipped was first a thing and we were putting things on flash drives for kids to take home or burning CDs in our planning period so that people could, <laughs> I'm like, that's just, I don't know that we need to be going to those lengths, right? If you know, by and large, that video content at home is not going to happen for you, then plan another way. There's so many different ways now that we can make this happen or forfeit time that you would otherwise be talking in your classroom and allow that to happen internally. So we're not talking about flipped anymore. We're just talking about accessing content at an individual pace and path in your classroom. So if you're a teacher who doesn't have any videos up and her content area doesn't is not suitable with Khan Academy, how would you just suddenly have, you know, a flipped classroom? I guess it, w it wouldn't be sudden. You would need to... Yeah, there's, a, there's some back-end work involved yeah, in that. And it's, it's so steps. dependent on your district. I think the first step for anybody is to reach out to either their instructional technology department or their um, 
academic, you know, learning and teaching department to see what's already been provisioned across the district. It's very, very rare today um, to see a district who doesn't have access to an online platform, an online content, an online hosting. You know, there's, there's so many um, tools and resources available that sometimes that's the overwhelming part. Not that you have no way forward, but that you have so many ways forward. Which tool do I hire to do the job I need done? Right, um, right. And, and consulting and honestly coming, you know, if I'm wearing my district hat, those are the conversations I love. When somebody would come to me and say, hey, this is what I want to do. Help me figure out what we have available to us so that I can do this appropriately. Because if if you're just kind of dumping yourself into the Google deep end and finding stuff, the chances of it being blocked, inappropriate, or not terms of service legal because of Copacipa FERPA for your kids is really high. So you do want to start from that local decision making, you know, who's the district person or the school person that would have that information for you. That's interesting that, that you went to the district person, which is your experience. There's someone knocking on the door. Crazy. We've got a guest. We've got a guest. So yeah, I, f I find it interesting. And, and, you know, we, we reflect back on our experiences and Stephanie's previous experience at the district office. She, she invites those. My experience was I was the rogue teacher. And so my first thought was find that if, if it's not you spearheading, you know, odds are most of the school buildings I've been in, there's a teacher somewhere in that building that is on the forefront of that sure. curve. That's, that's finding and trying new things and find, find that teacher that, uh, you know, and, and odds are when I, when I was in the building and that was me, all the teachers knew it. Everybody knew that, um, you know, that I was trying new things and I was, uh, uh, you know, the resource to go to, to, if I want to try this, is there a tool or a resource or a way, you know, there, there's also, you know, within your building, odds are there's a teacher that's already tried some of these things right. and, and they can also be a good resource of what works, what doesn't work, what they've had success with, what's bombed. Um, so there's a really great resource here from our friends at Ed Elements. You know, they have the core four sort of vision for personalized learning. And for them, they don't call it individual path and pace. That lives within flexible content and tools is one mm -hmm. of their four core pieces of personalized learning. So they have a progression called getting started, going deeper, and all in. And for them, getting started looks like the teacher selecting just one or two tools or sources of content to meet the student needs and learning objectives for the year. We're not saying pick 13. Right. one or two, <laughs> then establishing the routines for students to engage with those content and tools, um, everything from procedures in the physical space to instructions for how to access the online platforms. And then the teacher will have adequate access to the devices and the internet bandwidth to take advantage of those things. So that's just the getting started piece. If you can focus just on that as a first step, you're on the pathway. Going deeper from them looks like the teacher assigning students to review specific content or use specific tools based on their needs. So it's gonna be really hard to just start off from what do you wanna do, right? So we do start sort of just like that grit of sandpaper from a really you know, large grit and we're working our way down to the fine grit of student agency here, um, but aligning those things to specific student outcomes. And then over time, the student understands the role, this is all in, understands the role of various types of content and tools and is able to, uh, you know, plan and for pace and path it, like as they see fit right. so that's all in and that probably if I'm being really honest and reflective is a two-year process you know if you are not focused explicitly on this if you are one of the 
teachers out there who has many initiatives that you're responsible for in the school. I think that this could be accomplished within a, a single academic year for somebody who starts the year. You know, as we know, Andy made a point of this at the conference we were at last week. If it doesn't happen in August, it's not happening again until the following August. For so many, that right. start point is so crucial. So uh, again, um, I thought that that was really good to give people permission to think about it from a progression standpoint. You don't have to start giving all autonomy, all choice, and every accessible tool <laughs> to them well, right you off could the bat. Also, build the infrastructure for flipping your classroom in a traditional year. That's right. right. So you could start recording the lectures that you're giving anyways, have one of your students on the front row in first period record you. If you don't like that, then have it the, someone in second period record you again, mm -hmm. right? Um, get, those, get that content and organize it online such that, that your students who were in that class that day actually can go back and revisit that material, right? So now you've started building your library of content in the first year and even benefited those particular students in that year, even if it's not personalized. Because those students are able to review content, especially if they were sick, or maybe if they um, are not very good at note-taking, they're struggling with note-taking skills, they can rewatch those videos. Um, any of the materials you provide, you can pro provide as a link in case they keep losing their papers. Yes. Um, and then you have the infrastructure, a basic infrastructure for the following August, to start personalizing. Absolutely. And if you're, you know, if you're in a classroom with a smart board, um, you know, oftentimes if you like to write on the smart board, you can record all that stuff. Smart board notes. I was, um, that was one of the things I was doing years ago was just, I always had the smart board on record and after every class, shut it off and I'd stick it up on our class website and there's everything we did that day. It's up there. You can look at it or not, you know, use it at your discretion. If parents want to know what's happening in the classroom, there, everything that's said and written, it's there. It doesn't have video of the class, but you can hear the conversation. You can see what's written on the board, um, you know, and it's a good way if you were there. It can, uh, you know, attach to some of those hooks and help you recall. Oh, yeah, I remember that now because we were talking about this and that and that and boom, boom, boom. Um, and if you weren't there, it's a good way just to have an idea of the conversation and, and topics and what was being discussed during the class. The one thing I will say is, though, keep your forward momentum. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to then become that teacher who is quite frankly just a total butthead about the fact that like, oh, well, just I record. Here's the video. Here's the video. Don't become lazy yeah. um, and rely on that content to take the place of a one on one intervention. Yeah. Uh, also, don't become the teacher who cahoots your kids to death. And I use that in a way to mean, oh, cahoots. Awesome. The kids really liked it. Now we're doing it twice a day in every class as a ticket in the door and out the door like lord of mercy you know like i mean i love to eat you know coconut cream pie i don't do it every day for every meal like we have to think about There's moderation no way to learning to hate it no yeah like you will create your own um arch nemesis if you fall into the trap as teachers and i think all people do but teachers really fall into this routine and repetition trap where they find something that works well. And so they just, they beat it to death. Right. And, um, and then you'll get really frustrated because your kids won't be all in. Right. <laughs> They're well, not that's be why we're it. here because we're that's creatures right. of habit. That's right. Right. I mean, we do that. That's uh, admittedly. Um, so as I'm sitting here, I can, I can almost literally hear teachers heads exploding out there. Like, Oh my gosh, 
How can I do this? Right. How do I? Blah, blah, blah. So I wanted to kind of address some prerequisites. Are there prerequisites? Because I think um, if, if I flip through the white paper and I'm reading about some of these core tenets and these core ideas of personalized learning, this definitely stands out individual path and pace as the hardest and maybe the most mind numbing as a teacher. How do I do that? But um, I think it's important that remember that we think that it's not alone. It's we're not acting alone and we're not just trying to put this one new idea in place with all these old ideas also. So if if you're not working on executive function with your kids, this is going to be really, really difficult, right? right? Because we, we keep saying again, students yeah. are owning this and having to. So if, if you're not if you're not working on developing your students executive function, then then this is going to be really, really difficult. Yeah. I just actually responded to Kristen Zambia, who tweeted us um, encouraging students to build their own content. Uh, and I gave a great example about students reviewing projects and, and demonstrations of mastery from you know prior years as a way to gather their own knowledge, which I think is fantastic. But that goes back to, again, that codependency with executive function, not necessarily in reviewing projects. I think that's a really great strategy for kids when they haven't had that explicit coaching. But to build your own content, you really need to have those executive function skills. Um, another thing that I would say we've said a lot here already in the segment is co-planning, right? That conferencing and co-planning has to be a part of this. Stephanie, do you want to model a co-planning session for folks? Oh, that would be fun. Let's do it. Do you want to do that today or do you want to prep for it and we can do it on our next show? Listen, you know I'm a shoot from the hip gal, but we can prep for it too. Totally up Let's to you. prep. Yeah, and, because um, when, have we talked about month. co-planning yet? Is that, is that one that we have coming up? Well, we don't have it as a theme, so oh, that's right. um, but let's let's as a, a yeah, tease we'll do that. for next time, we will um, demonstrate that's for right. you an example of a co-planning session. Yeah, I love that. We actually uh, did that in the course that we taught um, with a pretty good structure, mm -hmm. and uh, I think probably have some refinements. Sure, you know, having done it once, but it's also um, that whole process of co-planning is what we also have used to sort of work our way in I teach into virtual coaching you know, video enabled virtual coaching mm -hmm. because a coaching session really is a co-planning session. Um, and so using a good structure, I think would be really helpful to have people hear that modeled. For and them. we can also tweet out the materials that we Perfect. use for that yeah. as well. So look for that at our um, next I Love teach that. live session. Yeah, that'll be really helpful. I think. Well, we I hope it'll be helpful. You guys have to tell us if it's helpful. <laughs> so, Andy, to your point, you were talking about the importance of this executive function. It'll be really challenging. I think this speaks to how valuable it is when you have a school administrator that encourages the entire school to move towards personalized learning, or at least start taking steps in that direction. The reason being is that if you can get vertical alignment, teachers will receive students who have already been building their executive function. Right. And over time, it will be, it should become easier and easier with new groups of students. Absolutely. Yeah. Super important. And um, I would also add that I think that there's this predisposition to assume anarchy, you mm -hmm. know, at the offset. It certainly was something I struggled with because I was very much a, a stand and deliver Jaime Escalante teacher at the beginning of my career because that's how we were taught taught yeah. even in pedagogy that was sound that was the way to do it and like sure gradual release was a thing but like most of it i was going to be involved in and 
Um, don't assume that when you're not doing that, that, that all hell will break loose. It's not going to <laughs> like, there will be the same kids who are disruptive when you're doing a lecture are going to be kids who are disruptive when they have a little bit of freedom and flexibility, you know, those kids and you know, good strategies to get them redirected and back on task. Now you have the time and space to do that one-on-one -on -one in a respectful way of that student's cognition and social you know, perception because you're not doing it whole group when they're acting crazy and you're trying to tell everybody right. something. And, right? and you run the risk of actually engaging them. That's right. And then they not being a class disruption. Maybe they're bored. With, right. they, they just aren't engaged with lectures with, with 15 minutes of being told what to do. And um, in lieu of that, they're investigating and searching uh, things that actually interest them. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we find that, uh, oh, crap, maybe I don't have a bunch of knuckleheads in class. Maybe I just have a some kids who don't like being lectured to. I know my son doesn't like being lectured at. Oh, yeah, I did not. He says I'm 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 a it's terrible being raised by a professional lecturer. Oh. You know who wow. else doesn't like that? Touché. My husband. Yes. Yeah, Ash. my husband doesn't like it when I talk to him like I'm giving him a lesson in life. Um, <laughs> it's been a bone of contention betwixt us. Yes, my niece has even told me that um, she senses judgment when I lecture. Wow. <laughs> Hammer down judgment. So these are harsh judgments that I, I am reflecting on. Um, but lectures in general are not well received. Wow. Right? Inner, inner reflections <laughs> on I teach life. Wow. Yeah. My, my, my problem is I say the same thing over and over. I repeat, Heather's like, uh, Mrs. Boyle is like, uh, you said that three times. Let it go. Like, he, he's heard you? Now walk away. I got to. I don't know. I feel like uh, I need a reaction or something, you know? Well, that's so funny, too. And I actually, I wonder if this would help because I often do this with my own children, too. I will repeat things until I get acknowledgement. I wonder if I just said to them, I will leave you alone if you can acknowledge for me that you have heard me the first time. Not like a, you know, shaking of the head, a verbal acknowledgement because right. I'm not always looking at you when I'm giving you these directions or at making requests like I don't know that we need to do like, you know, oh, captain, my captain style, you know, call and response. But like if, if you could just give me the audible acknowledgement, I will leave you alone. Right, right. Yes, mom. That's all I need. Yes, maybe Dad. if I set the, the expectation, maybe I've been going about this all wrong. And instead I'm like, shoes, get the shoes now. Shoes to the door, to the door with the shoes, the shoes. So this month we don't have the parenting advice from for you. We right. need the parenting advice from yeah. you. Oh, my goodness. Crazy, crazy. All right, so let's take just a, a brief mental break for one sec. We're, we're going to let Path and Pace kind of soak in. And I want to I go back to the last episode of um, I Teach Live, if you're listening, and to something that, that Stephanie said. Um, she referred to a show on Netflix that she likes to watch uh, with her daughter, uh, and they cook. She recommended this. Recommended. For for all of you in the yes. show if you're not uh, and you just stand there because we got something for you lords and ladles. lords and ladles so if you have if you haven't if you haven't yet watched lords and ladles just don't one. are they coming today? maybe just one <laughs> I will be so oh, no. happy oh no they're not coming no. they're getting the thumbs down <laughs> So I tried. Why? I tried to suffer through so this show. So I watched um, several episodes, and then I reached out to Andy to get his take. I feel taken advantage of. I shared my heart with you. Oh my goodness! So I, I think love that and this show. is this for me is the disconnect between 
reality or, or maybe theory and execution. Okay. I think in theory, the premise of the show is pretty cool. Sure, the execution of the show was horrible. I disagree. Holy cow. I got some great sleep. Okay, put me right out. You guys, you I like highbrow stuff, Stephanie. I'm, but that was oh. that was you didn't like to clouds. hear the history of the estate, and then they go out and gather the things, and like they're fishing or they're having to cut out sheep's testicles or like it whatever they're doing. It seems like it so would have funny. Been you a brought up the sheep's testicles. That is the episode I watched last night. Oh yes, it was a great opportunity huh. for Mountain humor. caviar. They, they missed every opportunity. They're British. For humor. Of course they don't. Well, and Irish, they don't have humor. No. They no. don't and know I'm, that. And I'm Irish, they and I baked, couldn't take it. They baked a scab, a huge scab. They oh. took this roast, Yes. and then they basted it in blood right. multiple times That's and served thing. it to people Listen, to eat. They have to follow the historical menu. Not, and they I, don't want to do that. So They're doing I tried, it to stay true to I them. tried my best. Sir Herbert was eating it. Oh, I tried yeah, my best, and this was like, get some quotes. And I tried my best. Their, their attempts at humor are so bad. <laughs> And just not there. You know what? I'm still a fangirl. <laughs> and Lords and Ladles, if you're listening and you would like to bring this to the, you know, good old oh, pop across the man. pond, I'm down. We don't have Lords here because, no. you know. I think we need to reach out to Saturday Night Live because to do a Lords oh, they and Ladles. It totally Ladles skit. writes itself. Oh, it really absolutely. Does. Easy. Easy. The Easy. easiest skit Listen, they ever wrote. I agree with you that it could be amped up in the humor factory. I'm just telling you that I appreciate it for what it is. And you guys can all <laughs> just pound it. sand. Bump oh, off, man. mighty beggars. This is, <laughs> that is a fantastic show. Oh, it was... Steph Sabotage. You're uh, listening to it. You know what? I don't feel ganged up upon. Anything we say if this we recommend I know. I know. Personalized learning, thumbs up. Lords and Ladles, thumbs <laughs> down. Okay. Well, you know what? Siskel and Ebert, two thumbs down. BBC, <laughs> if you're listening, Lords and Ladles, I still love you, and you can send me some swag, and I will continue to promote you despite the peer pressure otherwise. <laughs> All right, you scab eating. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy! So, thank you for reaching out, Anissa, because yes. that thanks for helping. That was me a good find fun some humor couple of that. minutes. Oh yeah, thanks for helping, Randy. Stephanie roast here. On... I'm finding another one, and I'll prove to you. Like you guys didn't watch the right episodes, clearly. <laughs> All right, bring clearly, it to us. Clearly, you no know what one we has. need to do? We need to do uh, a live viewing. Oh together of lords and ladles and we'll yes. live tweet it okay that might be oh, certainly like a, more interesting mystery than science show, 3000 right? <laughs> mystery science theater yeah uh, do you guys not like like downton abbey do you not like no i love that stuff i've been watching poldark which is a historical fiction right. on amazon it's interesting the cooking Cooking testicles is not I interesting. I mean, the mincemeat pies. I double that. I second that. The notion. peas porridge. I'm sorry. We can move on now, but I'm Everything just very distraught about all this. With a crust on top and calling it a pie. That is not pie. Well, okay. obviously, <laughs> these are not contemporary <laughs> recipes. Seven different meats. Seven, yeah. Four chickens, three rabbits. You know what? Turduncan's made a comeback. And a pigeon. Remember how they stuffed things <laughs> inside of each other and called pie. it a turduncan and, and brought it back? F-O-U-L. And a giant salmon. That we didn't catch because <laughs> no. they weren't biting that day. How do day. I order show swag? I'm oh, going to be rocking terrible. a shirt as soon as I possibly can. Oh, lordy, lordy, yes. lordy. lordy. And ladles. All right. So and fantastic. Then, and then the lords and their families when they're eating this. 
That's Look, like somebody instant. agrees with you. I put your right to Second sleep. click on this. Lords and Ladles, an appetizing idea, an indigestible TV show. There you go. Thank you. So we, Thank you, Mystery. Do you withdraw your recommendation? Commenter. She does not. No, I don't. Re- <laughs> no, I don't. Cod swallop. It's an excellent show. <laughs> Is that the word of the day? Yeah, cod swallop. Get off my lords and ladles is the definition. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, All right. So back. I love you, Derry. Catherine, you're back. not so funny, but you're cute. <laughs> back to the topic at hand. Um, Path and pace, individual path and pace here. So let's, and I, I want to go back to prerequisite. So we're talking about all of these things that, that, you know, it's not just one bit, but it's all of these pieces that work together to make this cohesive learning experience um, for both the student and the teacher uh, in the building. Um, but, you know, we're talking about video content and we're talking about uh, some of these other things. So, um, you know, there are prerequisites, I think, that come along with this. They're not necessarily necessary, I don't think. You know, we talk about technology oftentimes as not being a, a necessary piece to personalized learning, but it's certainly the technology we have today inhibits or prohi- uh, inhibits is the right word. Yeah. Um, is that right? Inhibits. No, that means promotes. It promotes. Supports. Yes, supports. Facilitates. facilitates, I yes, think, is the word. would be the opposite. Yeah. That's why, that's why I switched to prohibit, but that means the same, right? That's to not let <laughs> yeah, it happen either. Prohibits went walking down a path. Technology certainly helps to facilitate. It, it's not a necessary component, but but the pieces that we have today certainly make it easier. Scalable. Um, more scalable, certainly, and, we, and more engaging. But we do have an example, and we've talked about it before, Montessori education. That's right. The reason why Montessori education moves students at their individual path and pace is because Maria Montessori herself wrote the curriculum and developed the materials years and years and years ago. And then those teachers who are certified in Montessori go and learn the lessons. They don't necessarily learn instructional design. They learn how to deliver each of those lessons that Maria Montessori herself wrote. So it's, it's like they're accessing an already developed set of content right. without having to do the design piece of it. Right, right. So... So for a whole nother conversation, if you haven't read the white paper um, on personalized learning that Stephanie and Anissa uh, wrote, I encourage you to do so. You can find it at a lot uh, of collaborators. Right. And a lot of other people helped to put that together. Um, I teach.kennesaw.edu. And one of the things I don't know if we want to go into this conversation right now, but one of the uh, one of the interesting ideas in the paper that kind of uh, reflects, if you will, mimics this the, the Montessori uh, component is what Stephanie was just saying. So we kind of have um, identified and separated kind of a fu- the future role of the teacher mm-hmm. um, so that a, a lot of the overwhelming aspects, I think, of personalized learning now is the idea that I've got to create lessons right. for you know, my classroom, whether you're an elementary and you've, you're looking at 30 kids a day or you're a high school core curriculum teacher and you're looking at 150 to 200 students a day, the idea that you've got to create lessons for those kids every day certainly is unfathomable, right? Absolutely. And so the idea of separating the teacher into uh, curriculum designer. designer and 
the facilitator. The facilitator. Right. Um, I think it's a fascinating idea. I don't know, Stephanie. What do you think? Does that fit in here, or no? Is that a different topic for a different well, I for think a different all of day? It fits in all the time, right? And that's that's why when people are like, "Well, what's personalized learning? Give me the checklist." I can't. It, you have to agree that all of these things, from a beliefs standpoint, are interdependent and are also valid and necessary. Right. <laughs> so, like, yeah, the roles are really important. To, to separate, but also to identify that there are some schools, districts, realities where that can't happen right now. Well, and that's where when we talk about the flipped classroom, if, you're, right. if you just start gathering and recording your materials in the first year, you're doing the teacher as designer work up front. Right. Right? Correct. And I think also the way that I used to sort of work with teachers who are very resistant to, to sort of this like Skynet version of the future where tech takes over um, are two things. Number one, Technology is a tool just like anything else, just like the textbook that you have, just like the anchor charts that you have in your classroom. Hire it to do a job and be specific about that. And the more that you can view that technology tool, platform, hardware, software as a co-facilitator of the learning environment, the better off you're going to be. You don't have it do all the things. You have it do the things that it's hired to do. It's your teaching assistant. That's exactly right. And when you think about it, view it that way and hire it to do those very specific jobs, you set yourself up for a better ecosystem and more success. And then the students, the learners also understand when and why it's applicable and when and why it's not. The other thing that I would say is if you're a Skynet teachers are, you know, going to drop off the face of the earth believer, then you don't really understand the reality of what teaching is. You know, we're not asking you to stand, deliver content, pass out a test, grade a test. You're right. Tech can do all of that for you. So if that's all you're doing, what value are you adding? And in many realities, we see this a lot in high schools, we are losing FTEs. Teachers are losing positions, not because of the individual that they are, but because the course at large does not have any added value. So kids are going to an online instance to just check the box of the credit hours and the requirement, and they're not coming to school. Well, over the course of time, we're losing FTE positions. So they are hearkening to that very real situation where tech is taking over in a certain respect. Uh, certainly there's teachers on the online setting as well, but the moral of the story is you are the value add. You are the conduit to a relationship, to an experience that that, that student can't have without you. You are the one that validates them as an individual and says, yeah, you are worth something that's specific to you because of who you are, what you need, and what you're passionate about. And, and the more we do that, the more fulfilled and gratified we're going to feel as teachers and the more we separate ourselves from this tech takeover mentality. Well, and the idea that we need to repeat ourselves over and over and over again right. is, is very archaic, you know? <laughs> so even in talking to faculty here at KSU about what personalized learning might look like in higher education, I, I challenge them and ask the question, why do you need to repeat that same lecture? Is that really the best use of your time, your expertise? You've already said it once. It can be recorded and a machine can repeat it for you, right? Now you can go deeper. Right. And only you can do that. Right, right. And provide supports that you couldn't Absolutely. for those that need it. And have those conversations to identify where students still have confusion or misunderstanding. Absolutely. I just, uh, you know, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking back to so many conversations I had with teachers early on when this was still sort of emergent and radical thinking. And I think day by day, this is becoming um, more accepted 
from a philosophical perspective, you know, it's certainly not still the day-to-day reality in a lot of places, but people are now in agreement that this could be the new paradigm that they want to activate for their reality. And I'm just thinking back to some of those teachers who, you know, literally rebuked me um, (laughs) using that terminology (laughs) or who, uh, yeah, like I rebuke your thoughts and theories. Okay. That's pretty strong, but happy Wednesday. Um, And teachers who just got so defensive about the theory that, that would give them more of their time back because they were just looking at it from a, I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. You're asking me to do more. Please, if you hear nothing else from this episode, hear that this isn't about you. This isn't about you doing more. This is about you releasing yourself from doing something that you have traditionally been asked to do repeatedly ad nauseum for perpetuity. We're saying stop doing that thing so that your time can be better used in the way that you are most talented, which is the one-on-one relational co-planning and conferencing with your learners. The path and the pace and the tools and the tech and all of that can fall in line, but commit yourself to changing the seesaw effect. If you are spending 50% or more of your time delivering content in your classroom, it's time for you to jump that on the other side and spend at least 50% of your time in conference and consultation with your learners. Absolutely. And consider sharing that uh, as far as building the content, share that responsibility with your colleagues. Absolutely. And there's no reason why, you know, when Innocent and I envision these sort of separation of, of responsibilities across the role of educator, there's no reason why in a PLC team of four of you teaching the same content that the person that's most passionate about content development and instructional design could take that role for everybody and then just disperse their facilitation responsibilities across the others, right? Everybody gets what they want. And that's what the personalization of teaching is now going to look like, is that if you are somebody who is, you know, you'd rather be in the content, finding great activities, prepping and getting the resources and all the supplies that you need to do this amazing lab in a science club, you do that. And then just like we used to do when we had a teacher have to go home early, we farmed the rest of their kids to the remaining classes. There's no reason why we can't do that. And then have that person float around, add an extra hand, get good feedback from the students and the teachers about how the content's working for them. So think differently about your role, even within the context that you're bound to. Absolutely. Fantastic. I am editing our website right now. So Wonderful. I'm, that's the I'm, best I'm lost. use of your time at this point. Oh, no, <laughs> a good so... co-planning conversation. <clears throat> yeah, yes. yeah. That was yes. wonderful. Y'all caught me off guard there. I was just, we got a tweet from our own Max Gertz, who um, had a, uh, his, he's got a new blog post that we just posted on the website to coincide with the episode today on uh, individual path and pace and working towards that in a classroom. And so I was just, uh, just checking it out to, to make sure, A, that it went out on time when I okay. scheduled it to go out and and the format doesn't look great on it. So I was trying to fix it Jazz while y'all up. were making the show sound really Which intelligent. Is the division of labor, responsibilities, <laughs> yes. and passions. Um, we're modeling it for you here at I Teach Live. Right, yeah. So, Social um, studies teacher by uh, yeah, trade, yeah, web, web, studies, web math, design language. by practice. He's all down in the web dev. Um, so let's take a quick uh, interlude and congratulate KSU Go Owls football for another win this weekend. Excellent. Um, I am about Discount to f- at the uh, yeah, bookstore. I'm about mm-hmm. to pop over and use my, I think it's a 15 percenter. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, and I think touchdowns. we can use it in addition to our employees up to a 35%. Nice. So I need a new key holder, pass holder. Um, but way to go on them. Uh, anybody else have any good sports moments that are relative to path and pace? Um, yeah, when it comes to sports, you're not going to see that listed on my identity as mm. a social network path and pace. It, well, you know, ideally, it, it, it always works well. Personalized right. learning, I think we can learn a lot from watching a good coach. That's right. Because, you know, on the soccer field where, where I coach soccer, we kids were working on what they needed to be working on, right? My goalie is in the goal working on right. what he needs to be working on in the goal, not necessarily doing the short sprints like my stri- striker needs to be start, stop, you know, change direction. My defenders need to be working on body and getting up and winning headers. And so, you know, at any given time on the field, we've got kids doing different things which are focused at the things that they need to be working on and that they need to be learning um, and getting better at. Uh, so I think, I think sports is always a nice analogy for personalized learning because we see a lot of it uh, in, in the same direction. You used a lot of terminology that made me think that maybe some of the best people to start personalizing in your school might be an actual athletic coach in the sense that um, they may be able to already connect individually with students and they already have those experiences and having one-on-one conversations and they might also be very motivated to get a lot of their content online what do you think yeah i would 100 percent agree and not just limit it to uh athletic performance but any performance driven content so those who are teaching music orchestra band art world language because you have to perform those things and everyone is at a different level all the time mm-hmm. um and there is a high variation on the output given from each student. And they need intensive feedback. That's right. Or they're not going to improve. Right. So and it's not the kind of feedback a computer can give. That's exactly right. And so, yeah, I, I always prefer to work with what's seen as the specials teachers because they already get this. They do this all the time. They're, the, the goal for them is always to see what parts of this can I automate? Like, can I use some tech to help out? And can I allow even more freedom and flexibility in path? Pace is always something that they have locked down. But path, if we're all doing the, you know, in visual arts, if we're all doing the, you know, cubism unit, right? Mm-hmm. Can What if I don't like that? <laughs> you know what I mean? So allowing that, that flexibility in path. Same for world language. That's a very prescriptive, you know, mm-hmm. uh, course outline and pacing guide. And so... You know, just getting in the weeds a little bit with them and giving them the permission to think differently about how kids access the path. But the pacing um, and that need for individual feedback is definitely happening in those courses. So, yeah, reach out to them for sure. Once again, Andy, got you on the uh, no. The, the normal flow of our round the I horn am, here is not working. I yeah. am trying to make sure that Max's uh, post looks good because it's got some but can we do that at 12 o'clock yes well we're oh, going to lunch at 12 o'clock to, you. <laughs> to celebrate international podcast Let me day have a one-on-one she... conversation with you about this please you're gonna need to uh send me a calendar request <laughs> oh my gosh how funny hey no. there's a really good idea let's talk a little bit about how to leverage path and pace uh using some of these tools to accomplish co-planning because i do think um it can be sort of like you know very analog i have a clipboard i have a list of kids i'm going to highlight them in different colors and that's the order that i feel like i need to talk to them one-on-one but data and analytics is something that for sure 
technology gives us and eliminates a lot of time that we have to spend. Um, so anybody have ideas, suggestions? That's certainly something that I pay attention to in the, you know, sort of periphery of my work is how are data and analytics reporting features in all of these software programs that schools and districts are getting? How do they actually change the day-to-day -day for a learner? Because what I often find is that we're taking all these online assessments and we're doing, you know, iReady and Redbird and, you know, iXL and um, you name it, all the platforms, and they all have all this rich reporting of data but then that doesn't change what we actually do in class right. for those kids. Well, that's where the, the kids need to know how to read that data that's right. and um, make suggestions during a co-planning session about what they should do next. Yeah, absolutely. I've always sort of um, fought against the idea of data walls, data binders, data meetings, when really it's not about data capital D. It's about data little d for each student, and they're taking ownership of it. Um, but but they're not ready for that. Point, yeah, have we? Oh no! When when a school system purchases a tool that supplies data, feed, you know, and feedback in that way, have are they considering is this data accessible to students? Well, and that's the other thing I, I worry about is that we've sort of, um, for lack of a better, dumbed down the student data portal. You know, if you look at a dashboard for a student, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm going to use my own kids' examples because those are the ones that I see. But for example, if they're doing something on an adaptive math software, the data that they see could be, you know, minutes spent, or it could be, um, you know, color-coded chart of the, the concepts that they've done. But then it's all this like token-based games. You can buy dress clothes for your little avatar and stuff. Like it's non-related to data points. Telling them have caring about right. their own growth. That's right. And so instead of knowing what I have done, I think we're missing the mark here with a student data dashboard of what could I do next to either improve where I'm not performing at par or what makes most sense for me based on what I'm really great at. What's a good thing that's related back to this honeycomb idea of a web of interconnectivity of standards, what are the things that I could be working on in social studies that would support this math? Or what are the things that I could be reading that would support this concept I'm learning in science or whatever? You know, that so interdependency. That speaks to educational software companies. It does, yeah. And um, perhaps there's a need that they design data, student data interfaces that uh, are based off of a growth mindset, mm -hmm. right? So accessible to students at the, you know, the information that's provided is age appropriate, right. but focused on supporting a growth mindset and providing the information necessary to build on a growth mindset. Right. Because right. as I, it sits, it's all very fixed and retrospective. Right. You know? And we're getting there, I think. The good news is AI is really starting yeah. to be the up and coming conversation sure. in, in modern technology. And I think that that might be the missing component so that once we've got this data set, mm -hmm. right, what do I do with it? Now maybe we've got um, a set of AI that is not just, you know, the same three recommendations, but can actually look at the user, right? Mm -hmm. What are some of the standards or the concepts that this particular user struggles with? Yes. And can I make a recommendation on where to go based on this individual yeah. path and pace that's all you know where we are in that individual right. path and well, pace. Well, I mean even down to the point when you're thinking about AI you're also thinking about what time of day do these students normally access this for how long do they 
normally interact with this content. Um, you know, suggesting things that are a certain type of experience for them that they are predisposed to choosing differently. We've now even gotten things that are not yet available. I'm sure that the federal regulations would prohibit many of these things from happening, but there's also facial recognition AI that's being built into many adaptive instances in adult learning that will now uh, measure engagement. It will measure your facial features and, and the you know, the furrow of the brow, literally <laughs> the physical furrow of the brow to see how engaged you are, how much stress you're under and adapt based on those things. Now, is it a little creepy, creepy? Yes. But it's also got huge potential if right. we get ahead of it, understand it and leverage it to the best ability. Yeah, it's 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 certainly an interesting topic and an interesting um I think optimistic way to go, but we, we, I think we do need to be careful. Um, and one of the things that we don't talk about much, I saw, I saw a brief headline, um, about bias and in algorithms today. And I think that we don't talk about it enough. It's something we have to be, um, conscious. And when I say we, I mean the smart people that are out there doing the AI, we need to make sure that, um, that bias is addressed and that we're leading the right kids. And it doesn't matter if you're a female, a young girl, right? Are you getting the same pathway recommendations um, that a young man who's, you know, strong in similar subjects? Are you both being steered in the right direction? That's, that's best for you um, without, without that bias. Cause we certainly, um, you know, need to be aware of that. And that speaks to the importance of, um, encouraging and recruiting diverse groups of students to enter the STEM fields and to participate in the development of such algorithms right. and um, technologies. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the article I saw this morning, the headline was uh, basically asking that, saying that that unbiased algorithms we still need to rethink and, and make sure that um, that their their the output is you know at the start of the uh, of the of the mindset that you're getting what you had originally um, designed for this, the, the right output. So, so, and as I'd be curious to hear from you, you know, in your futuring and, and foresight training, what are some, I don't know, protocols, workshops, rhythms, <laughs> whatever you want to call them that maybe a school, a PLC or a school could go through to try to think about how to look at this across maybe a grade level or a school. Are there any sort of practical structures that they could put in place that would help them? Well, um, in terms of planning for personalized learning or just or for specifically path and pace, like, is there, you know, rather than just sitting around and all like scratching their heads? <laughs> well, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know. I have to think about that. Would uh, you be available to people? Well, sure. You know, so yeah. we could certainly walk through strategic foresight. Strategic foresight, though, as a protocol, is really about moving you out, you know, 20 to right. 30 years in time. So not necessarily like we want to move to personalized learning in the next three years. I think that if you want to move to personalized learning as a school system in the first few years, what you've, you've got to do some um, group project planning. Um, working with your end goal in mind and then and then working backwards and then assigning responsibilities um, and looking at contingencies and how relationships uh, fit together so that people know, you know, if if Sally doesn't pull her weight by a certain date in her area, then, you know, then June can't 
you know, do her job either. Right. Um, so, so I think just project management in general would be a great way to approach a plan, but that's if you already have the buy-in. Right. And so if you don't have the buy-in, that's where I think PLCs and accessing and reading materials about personalized learning, visiting other classrooms with personalized learning, it will really help if you have the buy-in. You're not going to have the buy-in of 100% of your faculty and staff. No, That's just not. what we know based on change theory. But what you do want to do is you want to find those early adopters. You want to start supporting and rewarding them and finding who they have influence with and start encouraging those people then and supporting them and then just start rippling out from there and then you can build a, a project plan as a group. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and I think also, you know, we always loop back to communication whenever we're talking about making any shift or change, but certainly for a, a parent who might be expecting that monthly homework calendar and they're not going to see it, for a parent who wants to see all the assignments laid out in Canvas a month in advance so that they can drill their kids on studying, like it's not going to look like that. Um, and I want there, I want there to be like a video that you can just send someone and then everyone will be just totally, their hearts and minds will be bought into the idea that I have. I've got that video at iteach.kennesaw.edu slash personalized learning. We've that video. Oh. <laughs> the video is posted think, on our website. I, I don't know that that's the call to arms. <laughs> that might you know, I think. Via your friendly web dev guy here. Informative. Right. Slash yeah. social sure. But I don't think that it necessarily um, brings the emotion to it. You know, we this idea that all students, we already know that all students are different. And we love and value them anyways. Um, not, and I shouldn't say anyways. We love and value them because of that. You know, that's right. what makes each of them so unique. And to try to stick them into a factory model to make them all the same at the same time is doing them a disservice right. and that what we've got to do to really care for each of our students and embracing their individuality is to move them at their own path and pace and to have those relationships with them as educators and that's really the paradigm shift that's the adjustment and that's the emotional piece that I feel that Stephanie feels when you've bought into this right. you feel a, a connection with your students and a, an immense responsibility to them. That's right. And I felt that with my graduate students this summer, getting to know each one of them in a personalized format. It was exciting to, um, you know, see their four-year-old on the counter making pizzas with them and talking to me about how they're going to show mastery on a particular assignment. Right. Hearing from another student about um, their struggles with understanding a particular concept and then us just having a meaningful conversation about it. Mm -hmm. That's something that if I was just lecturing, I would miss out on all of that. And my students would all have the same experience as if it was, they were just another cog in the wheel. But this is stepping away from that and saying, no, I care about each of you and I recognize that you are unique and I love that about you. Right. Yeah. And the value statements that come, <laughs> come along with that um, are frankly the the topsy turvy of what the current reality is. You yeah. know, we don't we don't get the luxury, so to speak, yeah. of valuing each individual because of all the stuff that we feel like we have to do to prep, plan, and deliver content. And you know, so many 
first year, second year teachers, I hear what they love about teaching is seeing the aha moment. Mm -hmm. Well, in personalized learning, you get to see that constantly, constantly, because Mm -hmm. you're having those conversations with your learners and you're hearing about them. But when you're moving them through a factory model, you're not engaging in a way to see but a few occasional highlights of aha moments. Right, right. And we, we all know, if, you've, if you're a teacher, you know that, that the first thing that happens in the classroom before your students learn is you've got to build a relationship. There's got to be trust mm-hmm. on both ends of that. And personalized learning allows for your relationship with every student to be unique and personal and individualized as well. And I, I think for me, it's kind of a, a circle. You know, we, we talk about the, the, the cycle of poverty and how, for me, personalized learning, it's a cycle of positive. Because once, once we establish those relationships and real learning starts happening, I see it as like a waterfall effect that just with each student, I, you know, I feel like uh, what I'm gonna see is just like an exponential change in sure. in learning when students learn that they get to steer their own learning and that their love of learning is what's motivating them and not necessarily my love of lecturing mm-hmm. they get the tomo that's right? it it's tomo. tomo i mean it's just and there I, are I feel actual... like it's just going to be a waterfall and, and exponential. So people want to always see, like, prove to me this works, right? Well, let me just say off the bat, year one to three, all you can really measure is implementation. Efficacy to the model for which you are trying to implement, right? That, that's the most you can hope to ascertain. Year four, five, six, you can maybe start to see some student, you know, derivative data uh, improvements. I haven't seen anybody yet who's been at the model this long to be able to actualize. Right. However, early stuff out of Rand and others who are investigating mm-hmm. this are all positive, and the number one thing that they're going to ascertain qualitatively early on is that change in student motivation, student efficacy, student engagement. Because before we're gonna we're gonna see the residual academic gain or the student success gain, however you're gonna put that on a metric. You're going to see motivation, engagement, um, and efficacy increase, and those are all self-reported. That and pretty much every model um, is seeing those, you know, initial gains. And so, if what we know is that with relationship comes the residual success, then then this is the platform. Right, and I think I think asterisk on the end of that. If we're if we're trying to measure outcomes with factory model. That's right. Assessment tools. assessment tools. Then, then we're going to get skewed and, and unreliable data back from that. So I think we we really got to rethink. Um, again, this is why this is a paradigm shift and not an initiative. The, the, all the structures in place uh, have to change, including how we measure student success and how we measure student learning. At the end of the day, right? What are we measuring? Are students better prepared for the workplace? Are students able right are the, are the freshman class when they come to KSU are they able to do their own laundry um, you know is a, is a is a question that, that we got to ask sure. these days can our kids take care of themselves mm-hmm. can they be productive members and are they on the right track and um, we know looking at the news for the past several years um, you know students can only be benefited by having relationships positive relationships with adults in the classroom and that we need more of those. Right. 
Absolutely. So we can measure their well-being, too. I think that would show some improvements as well. I agree. Absolutely. So as we close out today, sort of in recap, here's the things that we've committed to. Number one, to being uh, your, you know, virtual support as you endeavor to, to make progress in pace path or anything else that we think would bring us closer to personalized learning environment. Um, it's hard to do alone. It's even harder to do when you have opposition. And so if you need some cheerleaders in your corner, we can be that for you. We've also committed to next time we're live with you to model a co-planning session, which I think will be really beneficial for everybody um, just so that you can sort of see the level of professionalism, but also deep relationship that can come from those um, engagements. It's not just swinging by the edge of the kid's desk and saying, sit up, what are you doing? What are you working on? When are you turning it in? Slime in the book. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. So I think that that's going to be really important. Um, I've also personally um, made a commitment to continue to support Lords and Ladles because despite <laughs> what everybody else thinks, it's still a fantastic show. Um, and, and we would just love for you to continue to engage with us. I know we say this all the time, but, you know, we're live once a month, but this podcast is available for everybody, um, you know, on every platform imaginable. We, we download this and, and kind of get it out there to you guys as soon as possible. So please share this out. If it's a conversation that resonated with you, if it's something that you feel like others in your school, your district, or those in the profession need to hear, please share it out. Um, we would love to have, you know, that constant engagement on Twitter using the hashtag I teach live so that we can continue the conversation in between live sessions. So, um, and, and we'd love to have conversations with your, with your district yeah. leaders, with your school building leaders, um, with your state leaders. If you're out there, we, we'd love to talk about uh, how, um, you know, how to help them transition to personalized learning and, and you know some of the, the, the things that need to happen and the changes that need to take place and, and supports that they can put in place for teachers and students. Or if they even just don't understand right. what yeah, personalized just, learning just is. What like, is it? Just, just a better they idea. They just need a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. All right, so um, it's 11.50. we got about 10 minutes. So let's talk about the next show. So Stephanie and I, um, we're talking about the next show. And uh, so one of the things that we haven't really talked about are um, tools. Um, you know, briefly, we mentioned this while we had, and I guess we should, we could even say goodbye to, um, not a sad, kind of a sad goodbye, but we've lost a couple of team members uh, here at iTeach over the last month to, um, to I guess bigger and better things out They're there. They're always getting poached from. I'm telling you what, when you're it's doing great work, it's and people are recognizing yes. the great work that that I teach here. is doing, they they come knocking and they, uh, you know, um, they come offering, you know, carrots. We're, we're going to have another conversation about Tomo at another day right. to see if it's the right carrots being offered. But um, um, so anyway, back to what I was saying. We we did a bit called. Um, what was it even called with the big guy in the bow tie? To, uh, tech tools. Tech tools, but it had a. What, what did we call that? I forget what we called it. Getting only techie it with it. A couple times, something. I don't know. So we had our own David Lockhart here, the big guy in the bow tie. A lot of you guys know him out. Um, if you do the uh, conference circuits or you're on Twitter, um, and David just recently joined. I guess we can say it right. Today's his first official yes. day there. He's joined Tinker. Um, 
helping to uh, teach kids to code. So he's moved on to bigger um, and better. We congratulate David and wish him all the best um, in that. But uh, the original thought here is that we don't oftentimes talk about the tools, some of the tools that are available for us uh, to help us personalize. So Steph and I, let's get your ideas on this, Anissa. Steph and I were thinking, on the next show, maybe we could talk about some of those tools and kind of focus in on uh, a couple of the major players in school ecosystems right now, that being Microsoft and Google. And so uh, we were going to try to have someone from Microsoft in the studio with us to talk specifically about Microsoft tools and accessibility and how some of those tools can help students, uh, can help teachers individualize um, the learning experience for their teachers. Uh, and the same with some of the, the Google suite of tools that are out there. Um, what do you think? Well, I mean, I'm always cautious because mm -hmm. I don't want personalized learning to be equated with a technology initiative because I think that's a huge mistake um, because uh, I think then we can, uh, without that theoretical paradigm shift perspective that we can lose sight of what it will take to actually be successful. Um, but there is a pragmatic piece to knowing about the That's technology right. tools. And so um, I certainly support that. Okay. Fantastic. If you think it's a terrible idea, though, tweet. Right. Yeah, let tweet us know. No, tweet tweet to lords and ladies if you think it's horrible. You know what? Leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> it's so highly unnecessary at this point. Well, Stephanie, what do you expect? They're going to send you a thank you basket with some, some sheep testicles and a I'm just hoping scab. they get renewed oh. so that I get some more Ooh. of the show that I like. They're not going to get renewed. I mean, there's no way you that don't show's even know. coming back. You know what? It is exactly the right show for the audience that's watching it. And I want you to simmer on that like a peas porridge. I want you to simmer there's on There's something it. for everyone. Huh. Or there's, I mean, everyone's, no, okay. Interesting. <laughs> to each his own. Yes, cheers. See, I'll let's cheers not be that. judgmental of Stephanie's I know. learning preferences. She likes to learn about historical recipes. Thank you. That are. In, in a historical context. In a, yes. Yes, in a dry, dry context. Dry, I'm done. What are you guys game. watching? <laughs> I told you I was watching Paul Dark. I've never even heard of Neither that show. And still, amongst my searching, right, frantically, I still don't know who Lisa Frank is. Was she the glitter? Stationery and the stickers and the, the Lisa Frank. Trapper keepers. Come on. It's like pandas and koalas and dolphins and all kinds of cute little animals, neon colors. And like. You know? Super bright colors. Was that was did that come after me? Because I'm I'm older well, than the I both mean, of you. Well, I mean, maybe a little bit. Damn I remember. Oh, listen, 80s. I remember Hermitage, Pennsylvania. Let's call it 19. Is that an Amish town? No, it's not. It's where I was burn. <laughs> I was burned there. Were, were you in a horse and carriage going to the Sam's? Club? I wasn't. I went to Farmore, and that's where I got my Lisa Frank. And it's also where I bought my first CD. I did a search. It Jackson, I thought maybe animation. she was going to be the author of the high school. What was all the, the high school books? Secret? Was there? What, was, what were those? Even knows? Those books that the kids wrote, read in like, the middle school books. Remember like this sort of bright, colorful... Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, I must. I must have skipped that. I was. That okay, was a good collection. See, unicorn. No. Husky dog. No. See, I'm looking at these images. I got nothing. Now you show me a picture of John Rambo. 
and it's time and to then the I've got I've got <laughs> an eighties flashback. Now. <laughs> See, I was watching uh Rambo and Vietnam flicks and uh okay. horror movies while y'all were doing rainbows and unicorn stickers. Yep. Basically. Peace, love, and happiness. Individual path and pace. Oh my gosh. All right, y'all. Thank you for joining today. Get you to the bookstore for your discount if you're local. Get on Twitter. Use the hashtag ITeachLive if you're not local. And we will see you guys next time. All right, guys. So for Stephanie and Anissa, I'm Andy. Uh, thanks for listening to I Teach Live. And on that note, we're out of here. We will see you on the next episode. Cheers. I Teach Live is produced by the instructional technology coaches from I Teach at Kennesaw State University with the cooperation of the Instructional Technology Department, the Bagwell College of Education, and KSU Owl Radio. You can reach out to them for more information, questions, or comments at their website iteach.kennesaw.edu or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at KSU iTeach.